Hello and welcome to The Sharpening Report. I am your host, Josh Peck. I am very excited to welcome back uh, one of our returning guests. He's been on uh, quite a few times and we're always happy to have him on, Dr. Ken Johnson. We're going to be talking about Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, Testament of the Patriarchs. We're going to be talking about School of Elijah, Ancient Church Fathers, all of the kind of stuff that you know Ken Johnson brings to the table. Uh, Dr. Ken Johnson, how are you doing today? Doing really well. How about you? Doing great. It's always good to talk to you, and I appreciate you making time to come back on the show. Thank you. All right. So um, I I have been reading through uh, some of the Dead Sea Scrolls on my own. I've been looking through some of uh, your books. Absolutely phenomenal work. And if people want to check that out, uh, Ken's website is there on his side of the screen, BibleFacts.org. A fantastic website loaded with information. uh, And uh, I think you'll find a lot there that you like. One thing that uh, actually kind of um, inspired this episode, bringing you back on, was I had emailed you with a question. I was reading through the Damascus document uh, in the from the Dead Sea Scrolls, and I had a question about it, and uh, and you replied right away, which thank you, you, you gave me an answer to it, but then then you said, hey, if you want, I can come on your show and uh, you know we can talk about it, and uh, I thought that was a great idea because if I have a question about it, I'm I'm sure many other people do as well. So uh, the Damascus document, it it's it, it's one of the Dead Sea Scrolls. It talks about. Um, what sounds like Pharisee teaching almost about additions to things like the Sabbath, even saying that uh, if an animal falls in a pit on the Sabbath, don't rescue it. Uh, but isn't that the kind of teaching that Jesus admonished the Pharisees for, or is there something that we're missing here? Um, it's hard to say because most of those things are fragmented. So it could be saying that some people say this and others say that, but, and then giving the answer. Uh, so, yeah, Jesus made the comment about uh, when your animal falls into a pit, you go ahead and rescue it. I mean, that's just standard logic. Um, someone told me one time, it's like, well, yeah, but if your animal keeps falling in the pit on the, sa- on, on the Sabbath, make sure to re-fortify your fences. You know, do something to stop it because you do need to go to church. But, yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting thing. Uh, whether or not the Sadducees, uh, Pharisees, and the Essenes all uh, thought about that or not, but Jesus made it clear to the um, just the regular people as he's talking that that's not proper. And he's pointing that out, I think. And it's always possible that some of the Essenes were following some of the teachings of the Pharisees and, you know, out in the public like that. Yeah, and I noticed too, and I was reading through that, that the very beginning of that passage is fragmented. So we don't know what it says. We don't know the, we don't know the context to that. And then something else that you said too is that it could be that those instructions were, uh, just for the priest. So is it, was it that Jesus was admonishing it? for the priest or was it that you know the pharisees were trying to put all the priestly stuff on everybody on like like the common people too and expecting expecting them to like you know ritualistically wash their hands and stuff isn't there something uh uh that says something about that as well yeah actually there is there's a a lot of stuff that uh and according to the scrolls and even some of the talmudic writings um when you pull it all together The basic idea is that Jews were Jews. They were following the law as Ezra told them, uh, put everything back like it was supposed to be. And then the Greeks came along, and they um, made them try to put all Judaism away and become Greeks. You had the Maccabees rebel, and the Maccabees did not follow a couple of points. Number one, they used a pagan lunar calendar instead of the solar calendar, according to what the Dead Sea Scrolls say and that they put the Zadok priests away and formed their own priesthood, which is technically illegal. Well, one thing led to another, and one of the, one of the Maccabean rulers decided to annex um, other Gentile uh, groups or nations and make them part of Israel, which technically they have a right to do, uh, but they thought then they're going to make all of these Gentiles follow Jewish law, which is actually forbidden, and even in the... In the like in Exodus and Deuteronomy and places like that. Well, that almost caused a rebellion, and then he kind of relented on that. But later on, another Maccabean ruler did that, but also mixed up the uh, temple rituals. Uh, So in other words, maybe this is just for the the priests, but you can prove to me that you're really holy by doing Jewish stuff and priestly stuff better than the priests do. It's one of these weird pride 
uh, holiness type things that are going on. And so you can see that in um, like Jesus when they came against him and said, why do your disciples uh, not wash their hands and follow the tradition of the elders? That's the, Phar the Pharisee branch. And uh, he could have very easily said, because they're not priests. We're standing here in a cornfield, and they're hungry. They're not priests on duty in the temple. What is wrong with you? You know. And he actually goes forward and says, you're making void the word of God by your traditions. Priests are, you know, when you're on duty and you're the high priest, you're supposed to be holy. You don't touch anybody. You just do your stuff. You're ceremonially clean. You have to do it that way, but the rest of us don't. Matter of fact, there are there's a group of Jews today that are Karahites, kind of left over from that era, and they basically will tell you they believe all of that stuff applies to only people that are priests or Jews that are going to Jerusalem to do a sacrifice or something. But if you're home um, out in, in Bethany or somewhere, that stuff doesn't apply to you. And there's actually scriptures in Leviticus that kind of say that. So that's interesting, yeah. So the the sin of the Pharisees was was it, and maybe it was a combination of these two things. But uh, typically, people you know assume today that they added a whole bunch of traditions onto what the Torah said, and then that was the problem. But was it was it that, or was it more that they actually were supposed to do these things, but that was only for the priests, and then they were kind of forcing that on everybody else, or was it like a combination of those two things? I think it was a combination. It's started off by saying Gentiles have to be Jewish, and then Gentiles and Jews have to be do priestly things, but that causes problems, because how are you going to be priestly and not touch things when you've got to go out and fix your fences on your farm? So then they have to start inventing all these new ideas on why that's okay under this way if you do it this way. And so it just kind of um, snowballs. You've got all these extra laws that are added. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. We're and we're kind of seeing uh, we're kind of seeing that today, even uh, with that snowball effect of you know it kind of started off with just people were, uh, you know we we call them Hebrew roots now, but you know it seemed to start off that just some Christians were kind of just appreciating kind of Jewish ancient Jewish culture and stuff, but then it like snowballed to a full blown religion almost. And well, actually it, it is, it's like a separate religion because some of them go so far as to say that, uh, you're not even really a Christian or you're not saved unless you're like not eating pork and all this. But as you, you've brought this up in your videos that even in the, in, even in the Torah, there's different rules for Gentiles and for Jews that it was actually in certain circumstances, Circumstances, it was okay for Jews to give Gentiles what was considered unclean food, like like pork and, and stuff like that. Can you can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, uh, the law of kings basically mentions that it's a ceremonial law, and any even a Jew, if you're out in the wilderness and you're starving to death, and you you see roadkill or there's pork or there's something else, you eat it and you survive. Um, it's very even even in Leviticus it says that it's like you don't kill yourself you then you're ceremonially unclean until that evening if you don't get sick on what you ate then you're fine uh, but even in in scripture in Deuteronomy like 1421 it talks about the fact that you as a Jew cannot eat anything unkosher but you're free to give it to the Gentiles who always eat unkosher you know, and in uh, Exodus chapter 12, it talks about no one can observe the Passover Seder unless they are converted with circumcision. And Paul tells us as, as Gentiles not to circumcise according to the law of Moses, because then we'd be obligated to do those things. So it's always been separate. There have been pagans, which uh, are off, you know, they're non-saved off and that, but there's also been Noahides, Gentiles looking for Messiah but they don't enter into a Jewish covenant, and then no one should be entering into the priestly covenant except for the priests. Mm. So it's really very clear. Yeah, yeah, and that that, that helps kind of uh, weed out some of the stuff that's happening today with like the, the extreme forms of Torah observance and stuff like that. I mean, obviously, we know that we're not supposed to kill people, and uh, you know there are there are universal laws like that. But it would 
if if all of the Torah was meant to be taken like that, then it would mean that there was a time where God was telling the Jews to lead the Gentiles into sin by giving them, you know, by giving them food that was, you know, in, in the eyes of God, unclean. But it was okay for right. the Gentiles. So it's like either either way, whichever way the Hebrew roots people want to take that, you, you they have a problem. And I I've never heard like a really good solution to that. The the best solution is just you know what what we believe that that was for a time and then we're we're in the age of grace now um something well, else actually, oh yeah go ahead uh, actually if you look at it the, the whole concept of noahide law is given back in uh, genesis chapter 9 mm-hmm. all of the gentile nations are free to eat anything they wish just not living creatures or drink blood right and so that's always been given and then the jews have special laws that were added for a time and I think what's interesting is when you go to like a messianic synagogue, they will all say that Gentiles are not supposed to do this. But if you want to fellowship with us, uh, you can. Don't break non-kosher food here. And we meet on Saturday. So, but, you know, we're all brothers. The Hebrew roots people go too far with it and say we're all supposed to be Jewish. And that's actually what the, the ancient church fathers had talked about is, is break-offs of the Essene movement. There were people that were the party of the circumcision, that's our hyper-Hebrew roots groups today. And there were also sacred namers. All those people that were divisive for those reasons were actually excommunicated by the Essenes. So they they have a whole lot of uh, history behind that. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. Uh, since you brought it up too, the Noahide laws. There's been kind of this uh, hysteria around this idea lately. You know, it seems like every couple of years there's a new, you know, conspiracy theory or a new a new extreme thing that that people seem to like really latch onto. And uh, lately, it's been this this kind of fear of the Noahide laws. And to to me, it seems like it might just be a misunderstanding that they're not. That, that people who kind of buy into that maybe don't really understand what the Noahides are or what the purpose is because, you know, they'll they'll uh, share posts about how that they will claim that, like, uh, President George Bush signed it into law or something. Um, what what What's this whole Noahide thing uh, about, and is this, like, a legitimate threat to Christians, and, and was it ever signed into law? Like, what's the whole story with that? No, the whole basic idea, Noahide law is basically Gentile law. And it starts in Genesis 9 with Gentiles having to do moral things. There's basically seven laws. And then you, when you go out somewhere and start your own nation, you're going to add laws to that to govern you however you want to be governed. But you're not supposed to be an idolater. You're supposed to pay attention to the prophecies and await Messiah. You're not supposed to murder, to lie, to steal, form courts of justice, basic things like that. And the funny thing is, is that the Mosaic Law was added to that. Now, no one follows. There's no nation. We have to remember we're talking about nations, not people. There is no nation now that practices Noahide Law. There is no nation anywhere that practices the Law of Moses. Those two are old. They're old systems. They're not in practice right now. Now, you could decide to do something on your own, as long as it doesn't interfere with your government's laws, and you'd be okay. But uh, people... Uh, the hyper-Hebrew roots movement that's saying that we have to follow the law of Moses, they can't acknowledge that there ever was a Noahide law. Otherwise, their whole theology is messed up. It's like being a replacement theology Christian. I can't acknowledge that Israel has prophetically come back because it would mess up my theology. So it's the same thing. But to be scared of it is kind of ridiculous because when the Antichrist comes along and controls the world, He'll use Spanish law to kill Spain. He'll use the Constitution in some perverted way to kill people in America. If there was a Noahide or or other kind of law, he'd be using that to kill people too. So the Antichrist is going to use whatever system is there to further his agenda. So you shouldn't be scared of Portuguese law or Noahide law or law of Moses or anything. They're just systems. Yeah, and I, I've noticed too a lot of people that buy into that they don't typically believe in a, uh, any kind of rapture, or if they do, it's like a post-trib thing. And you know that's not something we divide over. But you know, I'm I'm a I'm a pre-trib guy, so I think you know whatever happens in the tribulation. I mean, either way, we know that 
you know, in prophecy, the Antichrist and his uh, his followers, there's going to be persecution of Jews and Christians. There's just going to, you know, whatever whatever reason or whatever path that takes, it's it's going to happen, and there's no way around it because it's specifically laid out in the Bible, and it's not a conditional prophecy. It's not if you do this, I'll do this. It's this is absolutely going to happen. So either way, there's no way around it. But me as as a pre-tribulation rapture believer, I think that well. By the time all that comes, you know, we're not going to be here and that'll be, you know, people who got saved after the rapture. And and it it sounds kind of uh, bad to say, well, that's their problem. But in a way, it kind of it kind of is. It's not something that I fear. But even even if I believed in a post-trib rapture, there was a time in my life where I did believe that I don't anymore. But even if I did, I would still say, well, the Noahide thing isn't really anything to to fear, even if that was the way that it's going to happen. There's, there's, I don't think it is, but it's still nothing to fear because whatever's going to happen is going to happen. We can't prevent it. Like it's, it's written in prophecy. You know, it's, it's going to happen. So the best we can do is go out and spread the gospel as much as we can and get as many people saved before the persecution comes. Um, but what about what about this uh, this idea that like they, they'll claim that George Bush like wrote, wrote it into law or something? What what was what was the whole story with that? Um. George Bush signed a declaration acknowledging its existence, and the reason he did that is because he wanted to show that uh, Christianity, Islam, and Judaism all have a common background, you know, the Abrahamic faiths. It was just a way to say, you know, we recognize this, and we as a Gentile nation, we basically follow Noahide law. We've just added to it, you know, except now we're, we're, our Supreme Court has allowed uh, – promiscuity, a perversion, uh, the killing of abortion, you know, abortion, things like that. So in some sense, we we don't have uh, proper laws on murder, on fornication, and that kind of stuff. But um, he was just acknowledging that as a historical fact. Yeah, so it wasn't like he was... Because these some of these conspiracy theories kind of get like on the anti-Semitic side, they'll they'll say that that uh, you know he he allowed in this secret cabal of super powerful Jews that are ruling the world, and it gets into all that stuff, which I, I frequently on this channel I speak out against because it. I, I've seen some people that I've had to break fellowship with because of this issue because they they turn into what the Bible would refer to as a reviler. They they start becoming verbally abusive towards uh, Jews, and you know the Bible says not to even associate with people like that. But to me, it's like this is not to everybody, but to some people, this is their excuse for whatever hatred they have. They can they they feel like now they have a biblical reason to spread that out and and to ba- basically just hate hate the Jews and think all these terrible things about them. Whereas, you know, I I I don't see any of that. Um I I just see it like what you said it was just a acknowledgement of of a historical thing that was going on. It wasn't signed into law. It doesn't mean that Israel is going to somehow overtake America someday and, you know, put us all under this Noahide law thing. I, I, I don't I, and, and I don't see that anywhere in prophecy either. All we know is that a persecution is coming, but Jewish people are persecuted as well. So, you know, if it was if it was Jewish people enacting all this, I, I don't see quite how that, you know, works. But if it's what we think it is, you know, the Antichrist doing all this, then it makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. There was uh, there was something else that I had a question about in that email too. There's um, uh, a weird scroll and it's it's really really fragmented, so it's hard for me. It was really difficult to tell what it was about. Um, it's called four uh, Q horoscope. So my immediately my my immediate thought was you know were the Essenes into horoscopes because I I would imagine that whatever horoscope is meant by there, it's not what it means today. Just like you know slavery in the Bible isn't what we typically think of as slavery. Is it that kind of thing going on? What what is that document all about? And I know it's like it's really fragmented, so we don't have a whole lot on it. But four Q horoscope, what's that document about? And did the Essenes promote astrology? Uh, no, they didn't. That actually would be forbidden. Um, what it is, it, it's interesting because first uh, uh, on a history on horoscopes, basically uh, in the pre-flood world, according to the documents, there was a religion that developed the, the great apostasy. And the religion was basically that we're all evolving into gods. So a shortened path to that would be to contact my ancestors, you know, like through a seance or whatever. 
And they had this concept that on the birth date or death date of a loved one, you could contact them if you did it in a certain ritual, a certain way or whatever. And so they would keep um, um, like a special calendar, solar type calendar, not sure exactly how it works, but so they could figure out the right days and stuff. And that was their kind of astrology was connected into their paganism. And then after the flood, uh, in the Babylonian area, uh, Nimrod uh, kind of added to it and created a type of horoscope. And the horoscope concept is, if I was born on a certain date, then the planets are in certain uh, positions around the planet. So later on, maybe when I'm 20 or 30, if those uh, planets are in the same position, it's going to mean my love life or my uh, will improve or or go bad or I'll get money or lose money or something like that. And so that's the concept of our modern astrology. <clears throat> and there's different systems and they all do that differently. Now what's called 4Q um, um, horoscope, I think is the one you were talking about. Yeah. Um, the, the deal is with it when it, a lot of times they'll look at these things and they'll just read them very quickly and then put a label on it. Mm-hmm. And so, for instance, like uh, there's one that's uh, called um, um, uh, Little Genesis, I think. I forget how it was. Um, but basically, they, they just thought it was a retelling of Genesis, and it turns out to be part of the patriarchal testaments. So there's a piece of Lamech, uh, Abraham, and Noah in there. And we should have broken them up and said, hey, these are the testaments that everybody talks about. But... Uh, they didn't realize that. So they just kind of named them. And later on, they realized what they were actually talking about. So with the horoscope deal, all it is is it's saying something like, if you're born in September, you're going to have a long nose. If you're born in, Dece- in you know, February or something, you'll, you'll look really cute, really sharp, you know, good looking. If you're born in this, you know, in June, for instance, you'll have weird looking ears. So that's the kind of stuff that it has. And if you're into horoscopes and you think there's anything about that, we all know people that are born, like I'm born in October, so I could get a bunch of people from October. Some of us have long noses and others don't. So you know right off the bat that that's ridiculous, okay? It's not, and it's not having anything to do with predicting what's going to happen in our future. It's just a weird description. And so what's going on here, I believe that it's a, so it's not really a horoscope in general or anything occultic, but why would they say something like, if you're born in September, you have big ears or a long nose? And I think it's a type of code. We have these codes in the uh, Dead Sea Scrolls in a lot of places. For instance, there's the, uh, the Copper Scroll, and it's coded in a certain part. It's supposed to be telling you where the treasure is at, so naturally that would be coded. Um, in the Dead Sea Scrolls, when we were putting together all the, the uh, fragments of the calendar, trying to figure it out, the calendar was pretty straightforward, but how do you do the leap year part? That's the really confusing part on everything. And there was a few of them found that actually talked about that because they would use the moon to show how it connected, but it was really cryptic and turned out to be a code. So the University of Tel Aviv finally broke that and figured out how everything works and everything. And, so we wrote a book on that last year. Um, so I think this is the same thing. Understand, when you go through all the stuff like the Damascus document and the uh, community rule and all those, they'll have pet names for people. And it's not so much a slur as it is a description. So if you're a Pharisee, you're using the lunar calendar as opposed to the proper calendar. And they think that's a sin, a pretty serious sin for priests to do. So they call them the sons of darkness, you know. Moon, dark, sun, light makes perfect sense. They're the sons of light. They're the sons of darkness. They're using the wrong calendar. It's, it's an Essene thing. The uh, Sadducees took the position that once you're dead, you're dead. So who really cares? Just follow the law and don't rock the boat. So they called them the seekers of smooth things. Always wanting to just go with the flow, not cause waves, not stand up for what's right. So they had all these different names in there. So we don't know for sure, but for instance, if it was done in our country and I said that well, those born in December have long noses, well, to us, that I probably am saying nosy. So people that try to interfere with you, like that certain branch of the Pharisees that are spies that try to spy us out and report us in, 
those are the long nose people, you know, nosy. So we're going to call them people born in December. Oh, okay. you know, that, that, that kind of thing. And so there's long neckers and long noses. And I don't know for sure what long nose meant in ancient times, for instance. Uh, it's probably anger because um, uh, the word for nose in, or the word uh, naf in Hebrew uh, means nose if it's a noun. If it's a verb, it means to become angry. You know, so it could be the hostile ones like the Sakari or the zealots or something. You know, that kind of thing. So, but either way, it's definitely not a astrology type thing. Man, that's 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 really cool. Hopefully, uh, someday we'll get we'll discover more fragments of that, so we can, uh, you know, help understand a little bit more what they were trying to say. Because that that to me is really fascinating. And also, there's not a lot of people uh, talking about it. I, I I tried to do a search just to see online if there was anybody else really talking about it or what they were saying about it. And there's very few. And uh, the like the main the main like other like couple of people were they they kind of took like a surface reading of it and they said well this is pharisee doctrine or this is gnostic doctrine that made its way into the Essenes. so you have leaven of the pharisees in in Essene doctrine and stuff like that and and uh so they they kind of took that but but to me to me i just i you know sometimes you read something and you know there's something else to it but you you don't really know how to how to prove that. So that was why I emailed, emailed you about it. And I was, I was glad to, you know, find out that there was more to it. And that, that to me, the whole idea of it being a code, uh, makes a lot of sense. Um, the Testament of Levi, uh, th that's, I, I actually just read this the other day. And while I was reading it, I was jotting down a couple questions about it. Um, it talks about the, uh, and I was reading, I was reading your, your copy. So I don't know if this is just how you translate it or if it is actually in the text like this, but it talks about the Messiah being, uh, crucified and actually uses that, that word crucify. Uh, but crucifixion wouldn't have been invented yet at the time of Levi. So does this show that there could have been later additions to these documents? And if so, how do we know what's trustworthy and what was added later? Or is there, uh, or is this just a translational thing? Yeah, it might, it might, uh, translation of it it's a translational thing okay uh you've got lots of places in there where it talks about him being nailed oh okay. uh, many places where he's killed for some reason somehow uh put to death by the the levitical priests um in levi it talks about him being um nailed like that um another uh, interesting part of that is when you get to the testament of aaron moses brother aaron the very first priest talks about how in the end times you, the Messiah will come and you will put him to death. And then he makes this little comment. He says, if you want to be uh, uh, saved and part of God's family, when this time comes, have nothing to do with the nails. Mm. You know, and at first you're looking at that, and if you didn't know about the crucifixion, you'd be thinking, nails, what nails? What's he talking about, fingernails? What nails, you know? So, but it's pretty obvious as you're putting someone to death with nails, that's crucifixion. It's phenomenal. Um, so, some of these ancient documents talk about, this This jumped out at me, uh, about seven heavens rather than uh, the three that Paul mentioned. Can you tell us a little bit about the Essene understanding of the construction of, of heaven? And uh, does it does any of this conflict with the biblical understanding of three heavens? Or is this just like additional information? How, how does that work? We're not exactly sure. Um, it doesn't conflict with anything. Mm -hmm. When Paul talks about the, the three heavens, he's talking about when on earth you can look up to the first heaven and see that's where the birds fly around. And then if you understand, you go outside of our atmosphere, there's, there's space, which is the second heaven. Third heaven is actually where God's throne is. And so the Essene concept would probably have the same, only they would break the third heaven up into multiple sections. Um, and whether that's symbolic or they think it's real or it is real, um, it, it's hard to tell. It's like, for instance, Jesus made mention of uh, the bosom of Abraham and the, you know, Hades, basically, two separate compartments in Hades. Well, according to the book of Enoch, there's three. There's the, the place of the righteous dead, there, which is the bosom of Abraham, the place of the, the, the damned humans. I'm not cussing. <laughs> Those <laughs> people, uh, the people that don't have salvation. And then there's also a compartment with uh, the fallen angels. And so there's always more information like that. And it doesn't 
mean Jesus forgot one. He's trying to make a point between these two compartments, two types of people, and, and why this can or cannot happen. And so you have that same kind of a thing like that. So it's really interesting to think about that and think if they're talking about dimensions or whatever. There's another scroll that kind of goes along with that, and it mentions seven temples. Hmm. Um, one is on earth, and others are elsewhere. And it's, it's referred to sometimes as the angel scroll because it talks about if you as a priest, uh, Zadok priest, are doing the rituals on the right day in the right way you're supposed to do them, you're actually doing it with other angels you know, wow. that are in other dimensions, and we have communion in that way. So it's kind of an interesting document. We're not sure exactly what that means either. But uh, so there's seven heavens, there's seven temples, so to speak, and there's only one official temple on earth that would be at Jerusalem. Man, that that blows my mind. It's going to be cool, like once once we're actually there and can see it for ourselves, how all of this is is constructed. But uh, yeah, that and you know it makes sense with what Paul said about the the earthly temple being a shadow. You know, if we take that out a little further, then you know the all, all of the rituals and everything, maybe that kind of stuff does happen in in heaven as well. It, it definitely seems, at least some of it seems to still occur in the uh, millennial reign. So yeah, that 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 adds up. That's 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 really cool to think about. Um, modern scholarship is split on the issue of the Testament of the Patriarchs, uh, but these documents seem to be pivotal in understanding the theology of the Essenes. So for those who don't really understand how uh, modern scholarship works, because sometimes someone will you know read that like a scholar says this about a certain document and then they'll they'll trust that scholar but then they might be missing out because maybe the scholar's wrong um so for people who don't really understand how modern scholarship works um how much authority in validating these kinds of historical things do scholars actually have and why do some of them take uh, a more negative approach to things like the testaments of the patriarchs being legitimate um i think it's possible Partly uh, where they come from, if they're atheist or if they're Jewish or if they're Christian or whatever, we always have a, a slant. Um, I believe the Old and New Testaments are the inspired Word of God. So if the, if the old, old Testaments are real and the people knew God the way it's described in the Old and New Testaments, and then they make a certain comment with a certain word, I think I know what they're saying because it should all be the same. Uh, for instance, the Pharisees said that uh, there's only one God, there is no you know, Holy Spirit, uh, the Messiah is just a man. The uh, Essenes said, no, no, the Testaments of the Patriarchs teach the Messiah would be God incarnate. You know, so they're actually Trinitarian, and you see this in all the old writings. Um, but I think it's like anything else. Um, we, we know that there are germs, and if you wash your hands, you probably won't get sick. And then somebody comes along and says, hey, if we throw alcohol on a wound, it'll sting, but it'll actually apparently kill germs, because every time I've done that, people have gotten well quicker. And so you kind of invent things as you go along, or you learn as you go along, practicing medicine. Most doctors don't know everything perfectly. So it's kind of the same way. We have these scrolls that appear, and you read them, and they seem to be Genesis, or they seem to be this, but they have this extra stuff. I wonder if it's made up. I wonder if it's an allegory. You know, and you see, you just kind of put it together, and you get a clearer picture the more scrolls you get. And so, in the beginning, when you've got someone in the 1940s saying, I think it's this and I think it's that, um, we want to read all those and think about them, but then as time goes by, see what the new evidence uh, comes out to be. And uh, what you and I think about it right now might be not quite right either, and we might learn in a few years uh, something new. One person wrote me one time and he said, you keep talking in, in your videos about the scrolls talking about the age of grace, you know, like Paul said. And I've read these scrolls over and over again, and I don't see anywhere where they say age of grace. So where are you getting this stuff from? And I said, well, the word for age is heldi, and it can mean age or kingdom. Okay, and grace is unmerited favor. We understand that. Most of the time in the scrolls, since they're coming from a Jewish perspective, they don't want to say age of grace because that sounds too Christian. They're going to translate it uh, kingdom of favor. Mm. And when I said that, he's like, oh, yeah, kingdom of favor is all over the scrolls. <laughs> it's like, 
Yeah, Kingdom of Favor, Age of Grace. It, it is all over the scrolls. You're right. So it's just a slightly different translation to make you not connect the dots. And so those are the kind of things that we need to do. And the scrolls, it's interesting because, again, the Essenes did this, and everyone knew for the past 2,000 years that in Judea somewhere there should be caves with scrolls in them. And occasionally people would find them and sell them to the highest bidder. And if they couldn't find them, they'd write some and sell them to the highest bidder. And so you've got real and fake scrolls floating around out there. The Armenian church has the testament of the 12 patriarchs. And the theology is so Christian, everybody says it's got to be fake, you know, middle age stuff. And the history is, well, it came from Hebrew, the Hebrew scrolls from the Dead Sea, you know. Uh, but we don't have the original Hebrew anymore. We just have the, the Greek. Well, that's really convenient. You know, that just sounds too fishy. So it was thought of as Christian fiction. And then the Dead Sea Scrolls come along. And sure enough, parts of those testaments are in the Dead Sea Scrolls in Hebrew. So apparently it's not fiction. So now we have to go back and look at the whole thing again. And not just the 12, but we have close to 20 of the 40 uh, testaments that are mentioned. So... That's an example of you just have to take the evidence as it comes and wait for more evidence to come back. Okay, yeah, that that makes sense. So the the Armenian Bible, because I think that's from like 1666 or something like that. So that has the Testaments of the Patriarchs, and then for a long time people thought that you know it, it was just like Christian stuff that that people wrote later. But mm -hmm. then when they discovered the Qumran uh, caves and the scrolls in there, the the scrolls that they found from the the testament they match up so it's it's safe to assume that that all of it at least could be or probably is or uh, that all of it's legitimate how, how many um how how much of the testaments of the patriarchs were found in qumran that we were able to compare from uh the that source to the armenian bible um let's see probably i think there was four or five of the 12 Oh, wow. And, of course, those are fragmented. So in some cases, it's like two or three whole chapters together. Other cases, it's more like a paragraph or two. But it is interesting when you look at it and it's the same story, you know, Levi's conversion or what someone thought about this. And it's really interesting to see that. There's also the Geniza, which is in, I think, in Cairo, down there somewhere in Egypt. They have thousands, like close to 10,000 Hebrew scrolls a lot of which have not been cataloged. But they have copies of some of the testament, uh, testaments, too, and nobody knows where those came from. And then, of course, we have not just the 12, but we have got a lot more fragmented still uh, in the Dead Sea Scrolls. So it's, it's showing that the Greek versions could be changed slightly by somebody through the years, so that's always a possibility. But the basic stories are the same, so that's pretty amazing. Yeah, definitely. Do we have the uh, same kind of thing with the School of Elijah? Because that that's another pivotal issue that tells us about the ages of human history, the 7,000 years before the new heaven and new earth. Uh, where do we get information about the School of Elijah? And um, if it's from a commentary that's that's dated later, um, how do we know that that hasn't been tampered with? Is it the, is it the same kind of thing as with the Testaments? It's the same kind of thing. We're still trying to go through it. You have the basic story in the Talmud about Elijah, his school, breaking it up, and the timeline and everything. Um, and that's, you know, dubious, because it, it doesn't seem quite right, but it's a good theory. Uh, and then you get all the calendar fragments from the Dead Sea Scrolls. And if you follow them correctly, you do have 6,000 years and a Messiah coming in the year 4,000, coming back in the year 6,000 the different ages and the apostasies, and they write a lot about them. So that gives uh, a corroboration to that theory. And then you have of all the way through the scrolls that talk about different things. They'll talk about uh, the prophecies about the apostasies at the end of one of the three ages. And then they'll talk about the first one was with Abraham. The second one is when Messiah comes the first time. Sometimes they'll date them. Other times they'll just give you an idea like that. And if you believe that timeline, then it, it fits perfectly in there. So there's more and more evidence coming uh, out that way. Now, the original story or the big story given in the Talmud may or may not have embellishments in it. But it's really interesting to see. Again, we just keep waiting for more and more scrolls to fill in more details. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Oh, and wasn't there like... Um 
wasn't there like uh, an original document that that's been lost to us but then there was uh there was like a commentary is that what you're talking about with the the Talmud or was there a separate there was like that's a, a separate that's a separate thing but yeah uh, Elijah wrote an epistle uh Josephus said it still existed in his day but again it wasn't added to the canon the basic rule is that the prophets told us that there would be so many books and then the canon is closed so that's the old testament Nobody should be adding to the Old Testament. It should be the 39 books that we know of. And then the same with the New Testament should be 27. But there's all the history books and prophecy books like between the two testaments, things like that. So this scroll that Elijah had, now there is a, a version of it in the Ethiopic canon, but it does not seem to be what's described. So that I wouldn't go with that one. Um, but so they talk about these things. And there is a, a medieval commentary on the scroll, uh, but still no scroll. Gotcha, yeah. Um, spe speaking of uh, the Old Testament, um, the Dead Sea Scrolls, you know, they obviously predate the, the New Testament by at least a century. Um, and many of the books of the Old Testament, all of them except Esther, was found in the Qumran caves. Um, why weren't... Why weren't any of the other scrolls that were found um, ever included in, in history, uh, e even in you know B BC? Why weren't any of those scrolls ever included in the Old Testament or ever even like considered uh, as sacred scripture in the way that the books of the Old Testament were and are? So, like in other words, how did we get our Old Testament, and why were none of these other texts included. And I know all that was inspired by the Holy Spirit, but why, why do you think God would have kept those separate as, as different things? Well, one thing is um, we need to have enough history and enough theology to understand and then to get saved. Mm -hmm. And I think if you tell somebody, before you get saved or get right with God, I want you to read this encyclopedia, memorize it, and it's 4,000 volumes of 1,000 pages a piece. It's going to cause a problem with people getting saved. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, the people will, will come, come around now and say, the Bible, that's going to take me forever to read. Well, it's one volume. It's 66 books, but it's actually about that thick. Mm -hmm. Think of, you know, if you had 100 of these things that thick. And so the, the concept was, that the way the scrolls teach, is that the prophets added to the canon under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Moses wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Joshua had Joshua, and then they added. And in the time of Ezra, Ezra, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, closed the canon, to, and it was called the public canon. You know, And that's the one that everybody should read and understand and everything. But then he had 70 extra books that were for scholars, for history. Not that it's forbidden for you to read them, but read the public canon, make sure you understand it, and then you can read the other stuff. You know, and you see things like that, for instance, when Jesus uh, quoted uh, a passage from um, Jubilees in Matthew, the Pharisees said, from whence does this guy know this? He's not a man of letters. You know, in other words, he never went to a Pharisee school. How did he even get a copy of the book? So they knew what he was talking about. But it's just like, where, where did he get this stuff from? So he knew, you know, all this stuff. And he quoted the scrolls a lot. So the basic idea is that the Holy Spirit gave us the basic canon. And then for us at this age, the New Testament. So if you don't have time to study the scriptures much, at least delve into and basically memorize the basic ideas in the New Testament. And then if you have time, go to the Old then if you have time, explore the others. So the the testaments of the patriarchs, for instance, can be thought of as a first age canon or a pre-canon canon, so to speak. But they were never added. They were kept sacred, uh, but they were never added to the canon. They, they consider my father told me what he knew, and it's 100% accurate, but it's still not going to be added to the canon. The Book of Enoch even says that. This is for the end times and is not to be added to the canon that the righteous live their life by. Fascinating. Uh, speaking of the end times, before we get to viewer questions, I have one more question for you. Uh, and then we do have some viewer questions, which is always fun. And we'll probably do that in the members uh, section. But um, uh, speaking of end times, according to the Dead Sea Scroll calendar, um, in our 
Well, if we have the calendar right, in our year 2025, we're going to enter into the the final jubilee of the Age of Grace, the final 50 years. Um, mm-hmm. Do the do the Dead Sea Scrolls or the Church Fathers uh, or or any extra biblical texts uh, give us any information on what kinds of things that we can expect to see in our time today? Uh, if if of course if the if the calendar is accurate. Uh, yeah, the, there's many people, um, some of the church fathers, the scrolls, and a lot of other things seem to indicate that at the, at the change of an age, lots of things change, lots of miracles happen. In the middle of an age, not so much. So we can see that like Moses did, and that wasn't at the very beginning of an age, but when God moved through Moses to create Israel, there was all the plagues and all the countries were destroyed and all these miracles took place. When you get toward the end of it, though, the Pharisees were apostate. The Pharisees were saying the miracles don't happen anymore. The gifts stopped functioning. The Essenes are like, yeah, with you they did, not with us. But anyway, so those kind of things happen. So the first century comes, you've got death, burial, and resurrection, the birth of the church, all the miracles and that stuff. And the church fathers seem to indicate that the gifts continue, but they get kind of rare. You know, and you and I probably have seen an actual healing. But 90 times, 99 times out of 100, when someone goes forward in our church and asks for healing, we don't see anything. You know, and so it's, it's, it happens, but it's rare. The scrolls seem to indicate that at the end of the ages, then all sorts of miracles and things happen. So I'm expecting in the last Jubilee to see um, all sorts of things, persecutions, really bad things, really wonderful things, healings, all sorts of stuff like that. In a sense, in the last hundred years, we've had a little bit of that, more healings, more uh, gifts of the Spirit in the last hundred years than several hundred years before. Um, In this last hundred years, we've had uh, Israel come back as a nation, take back the Temple Mount, uh, reconstitute the Sanhedrin and the priesthood, start to practice sacrifices, uh, expand the territories. There's all sorts of stuff in that sense. That's really amazing in of itself, but we're going to see a lot more of that. The prophecies in the Old Testament talk about certain wars that Israel fights, uh, the expansion, the formation of the the harlot religion, uh, the invasion of the Gog Magog, you know, the rapture and things like that. So a lot of that stuff's going to occur, I think, in the last uh, jubilee. Yeah, it's definitely uh, an interesting time that we're living in. Um, I actually did have one quick last question. This is more of like a Hebrew Greek kind of word thing. I, I don't know either. So I know English. That's it. Um, I, I have some friends who believe that, and, and we don't divide on this, you know, because it, it's not an argument. It's just an interesting case of, you know, it, it's it's an interesting thing to debate, but, um, you know, we don't divide on it as, as believers, just like a lot of things. But uh, I have some, I have some friends who uh, believe that the 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 third temple is going to be like like a spiritual thing and i i believe in it like a physical like a, an actual third temple is going to be rebuilt uh, but some of them believe that it's going to be like you know we're the temple so when you know the antichrist stands in the temple and desecrates i guess that's that's us somehow and it's it's more of like a spiritual thing and uh one of them who is actually a, a messianic jew and from israel so you know he he, he knows he knows uh uh hebrew i don't um but uh he says that the 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 words there like for temple or or something. I forget exactly how he explained it, but he said that the words, like there's a different word for a physical temple than there is for like a spiritual temple. And he used um, the example of Jesus talking about the temple as his body and things like that. And um, since I know you know these languages as well, have you come across anything like that? Or because I know you believe in a physical third temple too. So uh, what what leads you to that belief rather than the, the spiritualized kind of version? I would have to look up the exact words he's talking about and see, but a lot of times there's a there's a nuance between the words, but then a lot of times they're just simply interchangeable. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of people want to say that when it talks about the Word of God, if it's Logos, it means this. If it's Rhema, it has to mean this. Well, sometimes it does, but sometimes it's simply interchangeable. Uh, so a lot, we make a lot of... Uh, assumptions, I think, with the Greek grammar and the Hebrew grammar. And if that's all you have, you have to use that to assume to try to learn. But it it really helps. And a lot of times when you go back and you find the scrolls or something and they tell you what it is, 
you come back to the words and go, oh, that was just interchangeable then, okay. Or, yeah, that actually meant something different. So it really helps when you uh, go to try to find someone telling you the story, you know, and and describing it that way. Um, As far as that goes, I actually found a scroll. I think it's 4Q instruction. I'm not sure. But one of the scrolls was talking about the temples. And it was really interesting because it talked about the tabernacle and then David's temple. And then in the Age of Grace, it actually said that the people will be the temple of God. And that's exactly what Paul says in in Hebrews. But to see that in a scroll is pretty interesting. And then in the um, millennial reign, there will be a physical temple again. And they didn't really mention the uh, tribulation part. The tribulation is mentioned in other places as being a seven-year period and things like that in the scrolls themselves. So it's pretty neat. But just to see that, the whole idea, and you can see how preterists have a certain idea of everything being symbolic, and we take everything literal. A lot of both of what we say is true in certain ways, according to the scrolls. So it's just like you're looking at one part and ignoring them. They're looking at one part, ignoring you. And if we get together, we'd actually see it a little bit clearer. But, yeah, that one scroll is pretty amazing, saying that now we are the temple of God. He dwells in us, and there is no temple during this time period. But there will be a physical one built soon. Wow. Yeah, that's phenomenal. It's so cool to read that. Um, So we're going to go to members only, and then in the members only section, we have a couple of viewer questions. So if uh, people who are watching right now, if you want to, um, well, actually, before we do that, real quick, where can people uh, find out more about you, follow you online, and and buy your books? Um, Biblefacts.org is my website, and there's a store there. Uh, We have uh, 33 books now. And if you just click on the links, it'll take you to Amazon. You can buy them from there. Uh, but that's the best way to do it. You can also go to the front page of, of that, and it, it'll take you to uh, our YouTube channel. You can watch us there also. Excellent. Thank you. All right. We are going to head on over to members only. So people, uh, if you're viewing this on YouTube, if you're watching for free, head on over to dailyrenegade.com and get a membership. You'll be able to watch the rest of this episode. The reason that we're doing that is because YouTube has uh, gotten in the nasty habit of deleting our videos. So we have to be able to control our own content and house it somewhere where we know it's not going to be deleted. But that endeavor costs a lot of money to, to run. And you know we have to hire people to do various things. And so, uh, so that's why we have it set up like that. We actually, um, for those watching on this channel on Sharpening Report, we have another channel um, uh, for Daily Renegade, and on that one, I host a show called JPD Weekly, which is kind of a Bible study thing. And in the very first episode of that, I talked about how the COVID nineteen vaccine is not the mark of the beast, as some say, but you know, we we might be able to look at something like that and see how the mark of the beast in the end times in the tribulation might work. And so uh, that video got deleted. And the reason was because uh, YouTube said that they don't allow anything on their platform that conflicts with what the World Health Organization says or something. The only claim I made about the vaccine is that it's not the mark of the beast. And I would doubt that that would conflict with uh, what the what the World Health Organization says. But because that kind of thing happens, and it happens frequently, uh, you can still get that episode at DailyRenegade.com. That's why we started Daily Renegade. Uh, so head on over, and you'll be able to get the rest of this episode. We're gonna uh, we have some viewer questions, which is always exciting. A lot of uh, really interesting, random things. So if you want to hear Ken's answers on that, head on over to DailyRenegade.com. All right, everybody viewing for free. Thank you so much for joining us. Until and uh, members, hang on the line. Everybody else, take care. God bless. <laughs>